Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 through 8. And I want to talk tonight on how God fulfills His promises. How God fulfills His promises. Genesis 21, verse 1 through 8. It's on the screen, it'll be in your notes. But I would also like to encourage you to bring your Bible on Wednesday night. If you happen to lose your piece of paper, you'll still have your Bible. That way if you underline something in your Bible or circle something in your Bible, you'll always have that even if you don't have your outline. Genesis 21, let's look beginning at verse number 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day, same day that Isaac was weaned. So finally the great day has come, and the promised son is born. This is what we've been building up to as we've been studying the life of Abraham and Sarah. We know that back in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. If you can go out and count the stars, if you can number the grains of sand on the seashore, that's how many descendants you're going to have. You're going to be a great man. You're going to be a blessing to many people. And Abraham, he's 75 years old. He's wondering how is this going to take place He didn't see any way possible that he was going to be the father of many nations. And so 25 years have passed. He and Sarah have been holding on to this promise. But now it's been fulfilled through the birth of Isaac. And as we look here in Genesis chapter 21, as we study these verses, we're going to see some valuable lessons on how God fulfills His promises. And this is important for us tonight because many of us, we have promises that God has given to us. In fact, as you read the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, it is a book of promises. It is a book that God has given to us that informs us as to what God is going to do. And so we need to know how God is going to fulfill His promises and that God is going to do what He says He's going to do. And so if you take notes and you fill in the blanks, here's the first thing I want us to see tonight. God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. Look at verse 1 and verse 2 again. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. As I said, it took 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled, but God kept his word. The promise may have been delayed and it may not have been answered as quickly as Abraham and Sarah would have liked, but it was finally fulfilled. Why? Because God always keeps His promises. I want to say to you tonight that just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean He won't do it. 
You see, just because God hasn't come through yet doesn't mean God's not going to come through. We want answers quickly. We want answers immediately. But God may not always come through as quick as we want Him to. But God will always come through because God always keeps His promises. But here's the question we need to answer before we go any further. Why does God sometimes delay His promises? Why does God sometimes delay the answer? Well, first of all, He delays so that we learn how to persevere and endure. God wants us to learn how to hold on. God wants us to learn how to persevere and press through and endure. But secondly, He wants us to become stronger in our faith. In other words, if God gave us everything every time we asked for it immediately, we wouldn't know how to trust Him and depend on Him. And so sometimes God delays the answer so we become strong in faith. But thirdly, He delays so that we'll learn to trust and hope more in Him. But fourthly, Sometimes He delays the promise so that we'll pray more and fellowship more with Him. You see, sometimes God delays the answer because He wants you to draw closer and closer to Him. Amen? You see, let me say this to you. Sometimes God delays because you aren't ready to receive what He wants to give you. Sometimes you've got to grow into what God wants to give you. In other words, right now you aren't ready to receive what God has planned for you. You see, Abraham was going to be the father of many nations, but at the age of 75, Abraham wasn't ready yet to be the father of many nations. So God had to prepare him and groom him and get him ready to be the father of many nations. You see, Joseph, as a young man, was going to be the father of was going to be a great man, and he had a dream that he was going to be a great man. But he had to go through the pit and go through the prison before he could ever get to the palace because at the age of a young man, he wasn't ready for the palace yet. God had to prepare him for that. And so that's why sometimes God delays and sometimes God holds back the answer because God has to get you ready to get you in that position. Let me just ask you, can you go through the things that God has to get you through to get you ready to where God's trying to get you to? You have to. You see, we want the promise, but sometimes we don't like the process. To get there. That's why sometimes God delays. So he can take us through the process to get us ready. Where he wants to take us. You see, if me as a 21 year old preacher, God stuck me in a church. I wouldn't have lasted very long. So God had to take me through some ups and downs and some learning curves to get me ready. Before he could put me in a church to pastor. It was a process. Amen? And that's why God sometimes delays. In other words, sometimes we think God's saying no and God is saying, wait. He's saying, wait. But you've taken it as no and God's saying, not now. Listen, I could give you all kinds of reasons as to why God may not immediately fulfill His problem, His promises, but there's two things that are always true. Number one, God is faithful to His promises. In other words, He will always do exactly what He promises He'll do, but secondly, God is powerful enough to keep His promises. In other words, He has the power to do exactly what He says He'll do. 
Notice in verse 1, God came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. You see, no word of God shall fall to the ground or fail. He does what he says he's going to do. His word never returns void. If God says it, God makes it good. God is not a man that he should lie. God will make it good. But also notice in verse 2 the reference to Abraham's old age. You see that? You see, God fulfilled the promise even though it seemed impossible. In fact, he had to make sure that Abraham's body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was as good as dead. Why? Because God wanted to work a miracle. You see, God usually fulfills the promise when you and I can't do anything to help him out so that we have to sit back and say it had to be God. Amen? In fact, notice in verse 5 again, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. In fact, three times in this text, it mentions the age of Abraham. Talks about him being old. Why? To stress that this was a work of God. You see, nobody can get credit for this other than God. You see, God can fulfill His promises even when it looks hopeless and impossible. Notice also in verse 2 the reference to the set time. That God visited Sarah at the set time. The appointed time as some translations say. In other words, the promise was fulfilled at the right time. It was fulfilled when God said it would be. In other words, Isaac was born when he was supposed to be born and not a moment too soon and not a moment too late. Isaac came on the scene at the right time. Can I tell you, that sounds like another person's birth. Jesus. Jesus came on the scene at the right time. Can I tell you, God always does things at the right time. Here's what Matthew Henry said about this. God is always punctual to His time. Though His promised mercies come not at the time we set, they will certainly come at the time He sets, and that is the best time. End of quote. Can I tell you, God always comes at the best time. God always keeps His promises, but it's according to His timing, not ours. He moves according to His timetable, not our timetable. As I've already said, we want answers, we want them immediately, we want them quickly, we want them speedily, but God works according to His schedule and His plan. Not your plan, not my plan, but His plan. So let me ask you a question. Can you trust His timing when it doesn't line up with yours? You're going to have to. If you want His promise, you're going to have to trust His timing rather than your own. I just want to say something to you. You you can't speed God up. Listen, you can pray and fast all you want to, but you cannot speed God up. And, and, And that's what some people think. Well, I'll just pray longer and I'll fast more. Listen, you're not going to make God do what God what God doesn't want to do. Jesus wasn't going to die any sooner than he was supposed to die. Isaac wasn't going to be born any sooner than Isaac was supposed to be born. And what God has promised you isn't going to come any quicker than when it's supposed to come. We don't like that. But the answer to your prayer isn't going to come any sooner than it's supposed to come. 
But here's the thing. When it comes, it'll be the right time. Because God keeps His promises. In fact, here's the thing. You and I can leave this world, but if God's given you a promise, even after you leave this world, God will keep it. Right? Lazarus had been in a tomb four days. And there was an odor coming from the tomb. But when Jesus showed up, was it at the right time? Read John chapter 11. Listen, we've read it close to, what, five times now? Going through this, what, six times, seven times? It was the right time, was it not? In fact, when you read it, it says he stayed two days longer where he was before he ever left to go to Bethany. And the crowd, when Jesus showed up and told them that he's going to the tomb and going to roll the stone away, they said, could he not have spoken and kept Lazarus from getting sick? But he was there at the right time. But in verse 4 of that chapter, if I'm not mistaken, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. And he told his disciples these words later, a few verses down. He said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. He said, so that you might believe. God has a purpose for everything that he does and sometimes he delays. But when he shows up, it's the right time. And I just want you to understand that God will keep his promises. It may not come as soon as you want, but it will eventually come and it will be the right time. Time. But here's a second observation, a second lesson I want to give you tonight about the promises of God. The promises of God should stir us to faithfulness and obedience. The promises of God should stir us to faithfulness and obedience. Look at verse 3 and verse 4 again. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. These two verses demonstrate Abraham's response to God's faithfulness to fulfill the promise. Notice first of all he named his son Isaac. He named him Isaac. If you'll go to chapter 17 verse 19 it says this, Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. If you go back to 17, Abraham's wanting to bargain with God saying, hey, let Ishmael be the promised son. And God tells him, no, Sarah is going to give you a son and you're going to name him Isaac. And so we see where the name Isaac come from. God told him, you're going to name him Isaac. And so Abraham had to name the child Isaac. And had Abraham named him anything else, Abraham would have been disobeying God. But we also see here that he circumcised Isaac when he was eight days old. Go back to chapter 17 again, verse 10 to 14. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. This is God speaking. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And this uncircumcised male child who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So we see that God instituted the ritual of circumcision with Abraham years earlier. And so we see back in chapter 21 that Abraham, he's following through on that, that, that ritual of circumcision by circumcising Isaac. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Since God has been faithful in fulfilling the promise to, to bless Abraham with the birth of Isaac, Abraham's now responding by being faithful and obedient by naming the child Isaac and circumcising him on the eighth day as God had commanded him. And here's the point I want to make to us because God is faithful and is always faithful. We should respond by being faithful to God and being obedient to God ourselves. Because God keeps his word, we should keep God's word. Amen? You see, Abraham understood that Isaac was a blessing from God. Isaac's a gift from God. And Abraham owed everything he had to God. So God, Abraham responded in obedience. And it should be no different for us. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have is a gift from God and a blessing from God. And because God has been good to us, we need to be obedient back to God. You see, the promises of God should stir us and motivate us to be faithful and obedient to God. In fact, let me say this. There are promises that God has attached conditions to. Let me give you some examples. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, notice that little word if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Did you notice the little word if and then? Now let me just say this. God is... God, and He can do what He wants to. And this isn't guarantee revival, but let me just say this, there's a greater chance for revival if God's people will do this. Right? But I can guarantee you this, if God's people don't do this, there'll be no revival. If we don't pray and fast and seek His face and turn from sin, I can guarantee you God won't move. But if we will do these things, there's a greater chance that God will show up. God showed up Sunday, didn't He? And we've been in 21 days of praying and fasting. If, then. What are some other things that God says? If you give, it'll be given. Ask and it shall be given or you shall receive you have not because you ask not now understand God is God and he can override the conditions if he wants to but can I tell you this if you'll begin to meet the conditions more often you'll see the promises of God show up more in your life amen in other words if people walk around saying I don't see the blessings of God in my life well let me just ask this are you giving are you praying are you fasting? Are you doing what God's Word says? If you're not, well then most likely you're not going to see much of the promises of God showing up in your life. Let's move on. This is the one I'm, I'm going to enjoy the most. The promises of God bring joy. 
This is what I'm going to enjoy preaching the most, teaching the most. Look at verse 6 through 8. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. There it is again, talking about his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. So Isaac is born, and we see that Sarah is bubbling over with joy. When God first told her that she was going to bear the promised son, she laughed. But it was an unbelief. She was roughly 90 years of age, past the age of childbearing years, and she thought, I can't have a child. And she's behind the tent door, and she laughed in mockery. She laughed in contempt, thinking, it'll never happen to me. But here in chapter 21, she's holding the child in her arms and she's overjoyed and she's rejoicing. And I can just probably picture her in my mind laughing hysterically. Now that she's holding the promise in her arms that she's waited 25 years for, all of the doubts and disappointments and pain has vanished away and it's gave way to joy and laughter. I can imagine up to this time that Sarah hasn't had much joy in her life. The fact is in that day, and not trying to be mean to you women, but women wanted children and basically that's all women were good for in that day. Stay home, have children, and keep the house. And to not have children in that day, it was frowned upon, it was looked down upon. But Sarah, she was barren, she couldn't have children. To make matters worse, you have to remember Genesis 16 and the Hagar fiasco. She's barren, she can't have children, and she come up with the bright idea, let's help God out. So Abraham, you go into my servant, Hagar, and maybe God will give us a child that way. Hagar becomes pregnant, Ishmael's born. And Hagar begins to mock Sarah. She begins to look down on Sarah, poke fun of Sarah. I've got a child in... You don't. Sarah mistreats Hagar. You know the story. I preached on it. And so imagine the hurt that Sarah has to feel. In this one area of her life, Sarah doesn't have any joy. Sarah doesn't have any laughter. And I can imagine that in every other area of her life, Sarah's had a good life. Abraham has been good to her. But the one thing that she has wanted and the one thing that Abraham has wanted, they can't have. So imagine the emotional toll that this has taken on her for 25 years. But now Isaac is born and you can probably just see in your mind how much joy she's now experiencing. That she's laughing at the promise that God's given her. It says, God made me laugh. That's how much joy the son brings to Sarah. In fact, it's reflected in his name. The name Isaac means laughter. 
And verse 6, it said that God has made me laugh. Notice that. She recognizes the source of her laughter is God. She knew that God was the cause of her joy and rejoicing. I want to say to us tonight that God is the source of our joy. Even though Sarah was glad to finally have a child in her arm, even though she's glad to finally have the promise that God has given her, even though she finally is glad to have a son that she can kiss and rock to bed at night, she knows that the cause of her rejoicing and the cause of her laughter is God Almighty. She knows that it had not been for God, she would have no reason to sing, and if it had not been for God Almighty, she'd have no reason to rejoice. She knew if it had not been for God, she'd have no bounce in her step if it had not been for God. She's glad to have a son. She's glad to have Isaac. But if it had not been for God, she'd have no joy. She's got the promise, but she hadn't forgot where the promise came from. Hallelujah. She knew that if it had not been for God, there'd be no reason to celebrate. And I want to say to us tonight that when God fulfills the promise in your life, don't forget who gives you the promise. Celebrate all you want over the promise when it brings joy to your life, but don't forget who gives you the joy because He's the one who fulfills the promise. God is the source of the promise. Therefore, He is the source of the joy that goes with the promise. You can't separate the two. Amen? Notice that verse 8 tells us that Abraham celebrates on the day Isaac is weaned. Isaac is developing, he's growing, he's approximately three years old and this is debatable. Some scholars say they would go as high as 12 years old before they would wean him but most likely he's three years old, he's still young. And Abraham, he's wanting to throw a feast. He's wanting to throw a party to celebrate and let the world know that Isaac is growing. He's developing. He's maturing. And he celebrates. He's celebrating what God has done for him. And I want to ask us tonight, are you still celebrating what God has done for you in the past? Or have you forgotten about the promises that God has fulfilled in your life? Let me ask you again, are you still celebrating what God has done for you in the past or have you forgotten the promises that God has fulfilled in your life? I want to say to us that if if God's ever kept a promise to you, you should celebrate that promise over and over again. You should rejoice and be overwhelmed with joy over every promise that God has ever kept for you. We should celebrate salvation. We should celebrate the fact that we're here. We should celebrate the fact that God gives us every day of life. We should celebrate that every day we wake up and we've got breath in our body. Amen. We should celebrate the fact that we're on our way to heaven. I don't. Let me just say this. God's been too good to us for us to forget about what He's done for us. Amen. The promises of God should bring joy to us. Hallelujah. Rokora masunda mayandele Hallelujah. Finally, the promises of God can't exist with the works of the flesh. The promises of God can't exist with the works of the flesh. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. These will be on the screen as well as your handout. It's on a 
I must have deleted these. I thought I left these. Look on your handout. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Until the birth of Isaac, Ishmael was probably considered the child of promise. In fact, going back to 17, that's what Abraham wanted. He bargained with God. Hey, let Ishmael be the son of promise. And God told him, no, Sarah's going to have a son. But since the birth of Isaac, you can imagine the household begins to change. Abraham's disposition towards Ishmael has probably begun to change. The promise has come. And Abraham begins to act differently now towards Ishmael now that Isaac is born. This means now that Abraham's new life with Isaac can no longer exist with the life he had with Ishmael. Can I tell you what this is a picture of? It's a picture of the new birth. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 4. Ishmael and Isaac. Hagar and Sarah. Read it when you get home. The text says Ishmael mocks Isaac and Sarah takes notice of it. And she tells Abraham, you've got to get rid of Hagar and you've got to get rid of Ishmael. That Isaac's not going to share the inheritance with Ishmael. So you've got to get rid of them. You've got to put them on the run. You've got to put them out of the house. They're not going to exist together. Abraham, he doesn't like the idea, but God tells him to send them away. And so Abraham does. And here's the point that you've got to understand as we talk about the promises of God and how the promises of God can't exist with the works of the flesh. Ishmael represented the flesh. Ishmael was Abraham's best effort to receive the promise of God. They were trying to help God out. But his effort was sinful and it was out of God's will. Isaac represented the work of God. Isaac represented the promise of God. It represented a new life, a new start. And so now you've got conflict between Abraham's work of the flesh and God's work through the miracle birth of Isaac. Well, see, that's a picture of salvation. You see, when we are born again, our flesh always opposes the Holy Spirit in us. You see, you've got Ishmael, which is the flesh, and you've got Isaac, which represents the Spirit, and that's the same way it works in our life. When we are born again, you've got Ishmael, which represents the flesh, and Isaac representing the Spirit at war with each other, and it's the same way in our lives when we're born again. Galatians 5.17 says it this way, The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You see, just like Ishmael opposed Isaac and mocked him and ridiculed him, the flesh is going to oppose us and give us trouble. You see, the flesh and the spirit, they don't get along. They don't work well together. They are polar opposites of one another. They're constantly fighting. They're constantly battling. They're constantly waging war one against the other. Amen? How many has ever been in that battle? You're probably in it daily. And so here's the thing. If we're going to experience the fullness of God's promises, you have to deny the flesh. What does all this mean? This means that if you choose to do things your way like Abraham did, you'll end up with an Ishmael rather than an Isaac. I want an Isaac. 
So what does that mean? That means I've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. I've got to walk according to the Spirit. If I want my Isaac. If I want the fruit of the Spirit, I've got to be led by the Spirit. But if I live according to the flesh, I end up with Ishmael, the works of the flesh. Is this making sense to you? If I want the promises of God, the fruit of the Spirit, and the fullness of God, I've got to let the Spirit have its way in my life. That means if I'm holding on to some sin or relationship that is out of God's will, or if I'm holding on to some kind of worldly desire, I'm, I'm hindering God's work in my life. And, and you'll notice if we aren't careful, we'll end up like Abraham trying to hold on to Hagar and Ishmael when God says, you've got to let it go. And we'll be just like that. Well, God, I don't want to let Hagar go. But here's the thing. If you want to experience His fullness, there's things you've got to let go of. If you want the fullness of His promises, the fullness of His power... Sometimes you got to let Hagar go. You got to let Ishmael go. Do you understand? Can you see it? Promises of God and the works of the flesh can't coexist. You can't have power and works of the flesh going together. Again, Abraham didn't want to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Legally, she's his wife. Ishmael is is his son. But Ishmael and Isaac couldn't dwell together. And Ishmael, he's living up to his name. He's living up to what he was prophesied. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. And he's living up to it. Just think about this. If, If Isaac's around three years old, Ishmael's probably around 17 years old, making fun of a three year old. Who does that? But is living out his nature. Ishmael, he's a threat to Isaac. So Ishmael had to go. He had to leave. And here's the thing. Even though we're saved on the way to heaven, there's still conflict between our flesh and the spirit. There's still that war that wages on the inside of us. And the only way for the spirit to win is for us to deny the flesh. Galatians 5.16 Walk in the Spirit and you shall not, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I want to ask you as I begin to wrap things up tonight, are you living by the Spirit or by the flesh? Let me ask you this. Which one's ruling your life? Which one's ruling your life? If you're going to live in the Spirit, here's what it means. You've got to live in obedience to God. What does that mean? That means you've got to abide in His Word. You've got to abide in prayer. You've got to abide in worship. You see, that's the doorway to experiencing God's promises. But here's the thing. If, if the flesh and its efforts linger in your life, it's going to hinder God's promise. In closing, I leave you with these words by Warren Wiersbe. God keeps His promises and gives you the power you need to do what He wants you to do. No matter how long you may have to wait, you can trust God to accomplish 
His purposes. I'll read them again. God keeps His promises and gives you the power you need to do what He wants you to do. That's important. He gives you the power to do what He wants you to do. Because there's so many people thinking, I, I, I can't do what God wants me to do. I can't live for God. Listen, He gives you the power to do what He needs you, what He wants you to do. And no matter how long you may have to wait, you can trust God to accomplish His purposes. Would you stand with me?